We hope that you were filled up with the presence of God in your homes, just as God filled this auditorium up today. I would like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 41. That's where we're going to be this morning, Isaiah chapter 41, looking at a chapter or verses out of a chapter that really give us help for our fears. One of the great things that we see in this chapter is that, again, through the presence of God in his people's lives, he was transforming a people that were experiencing helplessness into hope. God is a God who can transform our helplessness into hope. Because that's where the people of God were. You see, when people face crisis or a crisis, the natural reaction is fear. And in the time of the Babylonian captivity, and let's not forget, that's where the people of God were. Like we are right now, sort of, you know, sequestered in our homes and dealing with this whole thing that we're dealing with that's way beyond our control and way bigger than us. Let's not forget that the people of God in Isaiah's day weren't even able to be in their home. That they were, in a sense, taken from their homeland and they were now living in a foreign country, foreign language, foreign culture. Everything was new to them. Everything was foreign to them. And they were under this great power, the power of the Babylonians. And beyond that, then they began to hear about this rumblings of a, of a great king that was emerging whose name was Cyrus and that the Persian Empire was now ascending on the world scene. And, and so here's this, this little group of God's people, if you will, at least compared to the rest of the world. And they're seeing the Babylonians that, that are over them. And, and now here come the Persians. And they just feel so helpless against the forces that seem so much greater and so much bigger than they do. And it's in the midst of all of this feeling of fear and helplessness that God sends his prophet Isaiah into his people's lives to, to help them with their fears. And I want you to note, first of all, the numerous times just in this chapter that the prophet of God told God's people, do not be afraid. Look, first of all, at verse 10. In fact, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And twice in this verse, the prophet says to God's people, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. Then if you look down to verse 13, don't be afraid. Verse 14, don't be afraid. And guess what? This actually continues through the next couple of chapters of Isaiah. Even if you go over for a moment to uh, Isaiah chapter 43, look at verses 1 and 5. Don't be afraid in verse 1 of chapter 43. And then in verse 5 of chapter 43, uh, 43 don't be afraid. And then one more, if you go over to chapter 44, verse 2, towards the end of the verse, don't be afraid, my servant Jacob, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Seven times in these few short chapters, God is saying to his people, don't be afraid. There is help for your fear. I want to point out that the word fear here speaks of standing or being in awe of anything or anyone other than God. See, God is saying to his people, we're either going to live, in a sense, in awe 
of someone else or something else, or we're going to put ourselves in a position where we are in awe of God, where God is the biggest, greatest person and and, and, and part of our life, so that no matter what we go through, God is still the biggest, still the greatest. We're, we're still more in all of him than we are anything else. And when we live that way, then there's nothing else that we're really going to be in awe of. Because God will always be greater than anyone or anything else that you and I will ever encounter. So God says to his people over and over again, if you're going to live, live in all of me. Be in all of me. You know, stand in my glory and see who I really am. And, and when we begin to open up our eyes to the Lord, and this is why our, our lifestyle of worship is so important, coming and, and learning about God and His Word and then worshiping Him and putting Him in His rightful place, then everything else will, will fit into its place. But nothing will ever take the place of God. So in order to help them with their fear, the prophet reminds them of three things. First of all, God's characterization of his people, then God's commitment to his people, and then God's care for his people that we're going to look at for just a few moments this morning. I want to first begin by looking at God's characterization of his people. In a sense, God is saying, don't you know who you are and who you are to me? You're my people. Notice he says this in verse 8. He says, you, first of all, are my servants. And guess what? We could say the same thing today. That yes, even though these characterizations were given to the people of Israel, the, the people of God in the Old Testament, we could say the same thing. And maybe even to a greater degree today as the church of the Lord, as God's people today. God calls us his servants. And beyond that, Jesus says, you're not just my servants, you're my friends. Then he also says in verse 8, I have chosen you, Jacob. You're my chosen people. And guess what? God has chosen us as well. Jesus said, you've not chosen me, but I have chosen you. We're not only the servants of God, we are God's choice people. We are his chosen ones. And then he says, you're the seed of Abraham, my friend the offspring of Abraham, verse 8. See, God was reminding his people of who they were. Sometimes I think we go through life and we forget we're the people of God. We are the princes and princesses of the King of kings and Lord of lords. We are his servant, which, which implies a, a position of dignity is from God's perspective and should be from ours. God calls us his friends even in the New Testament, God says we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the apple of his eye. Over and over and over again in the word, God is saying, this is who you are. Live who you are. Notice he says in verse 9, I told you, you're my servant. I have chosen you. Again, you know, emphasizing you're my servants. You're my chosen ones. I've not rejected you. Let's never forget who we are. Each and every day, in order to help us with our fears, in order to 
transform ourselves from feeling very helpless and in situations that are beyond our control and much bigger and greater than us into, into a place where we have hope, God says, I want you to always know who you are. You're my people. And, and for us who've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, let's not forget that he even goes a step further. He says, we are, we are brothers and sisters of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are children of God. Beloved, we are now the children of God, you see. Let's never forget who we are. The Israelites in captivity had allowed their captivity to define them. And, and it allowed them to begin to erase in their, in their minds and their mindfulness of who they really were. Nothing had changed from God's perspective. They were still the people of God, and they needed to conduct themselves and, and, and live each day as if they were, to hold their heads up high and to know who they were. But secondly, notice in verse 10, God's commitment to his people. And if I could encourage you also, if there's a verse of Scripture, if you're one that likes to meditate and memorize verses of Scripture, I would encourage you to memorize and meditate on Isaiah 41.10. It is rich. It is a wealth of encouragement for us as God's people. And notice God says at the beginning of verse 10, don't be afraid, first of all, for I am with you. I'm with you. And I will always be with you. The Lord is our helper, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, verse 5. And He will never leave us nor forsake us. You see. I am with you. That's God's commitment to His people. And again, it's not just the favor and blessing of God's enhanced presence, but of His transforming presence. It changes everything when we know God is with us. Think of just a few stories in the Bible where there were times where God's people were going through really difficult, challenging times in their life, and yet the Bible kept reminding us and them, the Lord's with you. The Lord's with you. I, I think about Joseph, because Joseph is one of my favorite Bible characters in the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And how even when he was in the pit, even when his brothers threw him into the pit and was going to sell him off as a slave into Egypt, the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph in the pit. And then after he got out of the pit and he was in Egypt and he was serving in Potiphar's house and then he got falsely accused and he was thrown into prison, the Bible says God was with Joseph in Potiphar's house and God was with Joseph in the prison. See, every step of the way, even until God brought him out of the prison and, and, and gave him a position of, of great power and influence in, in the kingdom of Egypt, that the Lord was with him every step of the way, just what Nicole led us in singing today. Every step, God was with Joseph. And God wants us to understand, I'm committed to you because you're my people, and I will be with you every step of the way. I will never turn my back on you. Every moment my presence is with you, not just to, to enhance your life, but to transform it and, and to change your outlook and your perspective as you go through these sometimes good times and sometimes very challenging times. Think about other people in the Bible like Daniel. 
The Bible says the Lord was with Daniel when he was in the lion's den. The Bible says that the Lord was literally in the furnace with Daniel's friends when they were in the fire. If God chooses us to go into the furnace, then God commits himself to be in the furnace with his people. I am with you, you see. Over and over again, the Lord was with his people when he brought them out of Egypt. And even though they stood at the, at the brink of, of this great sea, and it looked like there was no way out, God said, I'll make a way through. And God was with his people when it looked like there was no way. God is always with us, my friends. And, and I want you to know that today and realize that today and acknowledge that today. And also, I want you to note, God not only says, I am with you. Notice another commitment here in verse 10. He says, don't be frightened for I am your God. By the way, this word frightened that's translated this way in the Net Bible is a little bit different than the word afraid in verse 10 and the words afraid in verse 13 and 14. It's a very descriptive word. It, it speaks of our eyes gazing at or about, of looking away in a sense from God and our, our heads sort of on a pivot and our eyes darting from place to place, trying to find security, trying to find someone or something safe or something that can be settling. And God is saying, why are you looking around? I'm, I'm right here. You don't need to try to find your safety or security or settledness or stability in anything or anyone. I'm here with you and I am your God, you see. Don't be frightened. Keep your eyes on me. I am the one true God. I am the great and mighty one. And I am your God. And I am with you. And I will always be with you. And I will always be committed to my people. In fact, to illustrate this, I thought of this passage a little bit later in the book of Isaiah. I'd like you to turn there with me. Isaiah chapter 49. Another great passage of Scripture that talks about the commitment of God to His people. Verses 14 through 16 of Isaiah 49, Zion said, The Lord has abandoned me. The sovereign master has forgotten me. God says through the prophet Isaiah to His people, Can a woman forget her baby who nurses at her breast? Can she withhold compassion from the child she has born? Even if mothers were to forget, which, if that's true, it doesn't happen very often the love of a mother for their children. God says, I could never forget you. And then God goes on to say, and here's why. Look, I have inscribed or literally engraved your name on my palms. It speaks about an indelible mark that cannot be removed, erased, or forgotten. And think about this. Especially in this time of history, it wasn't the master who got, in a sense, a tattoo or a mark or an engraving of the servant. It was the servants who got marked by the mark of the master. But God has turned that. God says, I love you so much and I am committed to you so much that I'm the one, the master of the universe, I'm the one that's going to mark myself with you. I'm not going to ask you to do it the other way around. 
And then God says through the prophet, your walls are constantly before me. What's that phrase mean? Well, in ancient times, the walls of cities and, and houses and all that, that was what surrounded and protected the residents or the city. It was a symbol like nothing else could be of security and of someone feeling safe to have these walls. And God is saying, your walls are always there. And in a sense, what God is saying by saying, your walls are always something that I'm seeing is it really don't put your ultimate trust, your ultimate confidence in your human security that you can add to your life, the walls of your life. Let me, God, be your security. Because I will surround you. I will protect you. I've stamped your name on my palm forever and ever. It cannot be erased. It cannot be removed. I will never forget you, God says. This is the level of God's commitment to His people. And then I want you to go back to Isaiah 41. As we continue to think about God's commitment to His people, I want you to see this phrase that jumped out off the page at me as I was meditating on this chapter. In verse 10, God says, notice, don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be frightened for I am your God. Back in verse 9, you whom I am bringing back. Verse 13, don't be afraid, I am helping you. Men of Israel, verse 14, I am helping you. And the thing that jumped off the page at me was not just the verb, or the ad, but the idea that God kept saying, I am, I am, I am. And I couldn't help but think of that time when God was calling Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. And of course, in the midst of the conversation, Moses says, well, God, if I go back and I lead these people out or tell them that I'm here to lead them out, who do I say sent me? What do I tell them your name is, in a sense? And God said, tell them, I am that I am. That's an important title or characterization that God gave to himself for a couple of reasons. One, it means that God is the eternal self-existent one. It means that unlike everything else God has ever created, God doesn't need anything else other than himself. Where everything else that God created in the universe, including you and I, we are absolutely dependent and reliant upon God for our very existence. We could not be here without God. We could not continue to exist without God. Everything in the universe owes its very existence and its continued existence to God. God doesn't need anything other than himself. So then we realize that when God begins to say things to his people like, I am committed to you. I will be with you. I am your God. And this is who you are to me. We realize it's not because God had to say those things. It was because that's who God is. That's his very nature. He doesn't have to be that way with us. He wants to be that for us. And he literally, as we said last week, obligates himself 
Not because anybody's putting any pressure on him to do so. That could never happen. But because he wants to put himself in a position of responsibility and obligation for his people by saying, I am. There's another aspect of this phrase, I am, that's important for us to remind ourselves of. And that is that notice God doesn't say to his people, I was or I will, but I am. And what that reminds us of is that God is always in the moment. Right here and now. Yes, he's the God of our past and he's faithful. He was faithful. And he will be the faithful God of our future, but God also wants us to know right here and now, right in the midst of our mess or situation or circumstance or whatever we're dealing with in our lives, God says, I am right there with you, right in the moment. I'm not just the God of the past. I'm not just the God of the future. I am the God of the present. I'm right here, right now. That's his commitment. And so I hope that you are allowing the God of the present, the God of this moment, even right there in your homes today, to speak into your life, to minister into you, to come in and to, to have his presence literally transform your life and your heart and your mind and to help you with your fear and to transfer you and I from our feelings of helplessness into hope this morning. But the prophet Isaiah's message doesn't end with God's characterization of his people and God's commitment to his people. It goes beyond that to notice God's care for his people. First of all, notice in verse 10, and I'm going to start at the beginning. Don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be frightened, for I am your God. And then I strengthen you. God is saying, Allow me, the almighty God, the God of infinite, unlimited strength, to literally pour my strength into your life. And by the way, this word even means more than just being strong. It also speaks about being courageous. It's the same word that, say, is found three times in the first chapter of the book of Joshua, where God says to Joshua, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Over and over again, be strong and courageous. How could Joshua be strong and courageous? How could you and I be strong and courageous? By allowing the God of strength and courage to pour his strength and courage into us in order that we prevail. And I want to take you back for just a moment to the end of last week's message, to that very familiar passage at the end of chapter 40, where the Bible says in verse 31, those who wait for the Lord's help will find renewed strength. They will rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They'll run without growing weary and walk without getting tired. The word renew there literally means to exchange one thing for another. In other words, God is saying to his people, here's the deal. You can come to me and exchange your finite strength, your weakness, for my unlimited, infinite strength. It, it's literally a word that, that speaks about sort of taking off one set of clothes and putting on another set of clothes. And God is saying to his people every day, you can come into my presence, you can take off your clothes that, that are weak, are weary, are worn out, and, and at the end of themselves... 
and you can put on my unlimited strength each and every day. And you can keep going in my strength and in the courage that only I, God, can give you. That's the way God cares for His people. And so I would just say again today, use these times to come into the presence of God and say, and literally visualize taking off those worn out, weary, weak clothes that we wear as human beings and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and His infinite strength. Then notice back over in verse 10, God not only says, I'll care for you by strengthening you, He says, I'll care for you by helping you. I help you right now. And the word help means to surround and to protect. That's why God says, your walls are ever before me. But don't trust in those human walls, those, those human ways of feeling secure and, and safe and all of that, because if that's what you're trusting in more than trusting in me, you're never ever going to really feel secure and safe. But when you and I rest in the everlasting arms of the Lord, who is the creator and sustainer of the universe, then we can feel safe and secure and stable and settled no matter what environment or circumstances we go through. Because he surrounds and protects us at all times. Notice God says this three times to his people. And by the way, they weren't home. They were in Babylon. They were in a foreign country, surrounded by a foreign culture, foreign language. Everything was different to them. Everything was foreign to them. And yet God says, I'm still with you. You can't go anywhere where I'm not with you. And you're still my people. I'm still your God. And I will strengthen you there just as I could easily strengthen you if you were still home. And I will help you there. I will surround and protect you in Babylon just as capably as I could surround and protect you in your own home. So notice verse 13. God repeats this in verse 13 and 14. God says, don't be afraid. Don't stand in awe of anything or anyone other than me because I will surround and protect you. I am helping you. And then in verse 14, don't be afraid, despised, insignificant Jacob, men of Israel. I am helping you. And by the way, notice God is saying to his people, I'm already surrounding and protecting you whether you realize it or not. Because he doesn't say, I will help you. He says, I am helping you. You... You and I many times don't realize how God has surrounded us and protected us, and we didn't even realize it. In fact, I think that when we get to heaven, there will be many times that we'll be able to look back on our life, and God will show us the times that He surrounded us and protected us from things that we didn't even realize. That's our God. And that's His care for His people. Not only to strengthen us, not only to help us, and then if you go back up to verse 10, Notice again, God says, yes, and I uphold you with my saving right hand. I love what Moses said in Deuteronomy. He says to the people of God, underneath us are the everlasting arms of God. How strong do we really think God is? And God says to his people, I will uphold you. I love this word. It literally means to sort of grasp and support. It's the idea of holding us up. 
God is saying, I know that these days are difficult. I'm not minimizing how difficult and how trying and all of that the days are that you're going through. But God says, I'm the God of the universe who has unlimited power and strength, and I can literally grab a hold of my people, and I can hold them up through it all. That's how strong God is. with His mighty hand. Are you letting God hold you up today? Supporting you through this? God doesn't stop there. God says, I also care for my people in this way. Notice what He says in verse 14. He says, don't be afraid, despised, insignificant Jacob. And literally in the original Hebrew, it means worm. You see, again, compared to the nations that were seemingly in control, the Babylonians and the coming Persians and all this, the people of Israel were this small little insignificant group of people. And yet notice what God says in verse 11 and 12 to his people. He says, look, all who were literally angry and enraged at you, they're going to be ashamed and humiliated. Your adversaries, oh, they're going to be reduced to nothing and perish. And when you look out for your opponents, you're not even going to find them. Your enemies will be reduced to absolutely nothing. Why? Because I'm the Lord, your God, and I'm the one who takes you by your right hand. And you're my people, and I'm with you, and I'm committed to you. God says, I'll see you through. Do our enemies look bigger right now than God does? Is what we're facing, are the circumstances of our life bigger than what we're allowing God to be? You know, that, that was the problem of the people of God all the way through the Old Testament. That's why they never entered into the promised land because when they sent out the spies, the spies, most of them came back except for Caleb and said, oh, we saw giants in the land. Even though God promised us that he would be with us and that he would take us into the promised land and his word is always true and reliable and, and faithful, we didn't really trust what God said and we allowed the giants, those big people in the land, to discourage us from going in and, and, and inhabiting all that God had for us. Now we let the giants win because we let the giants get bigger than God. And God said, well, because of your unbelief, you're going to wander until that generation who does not believe in me and trust in me dies off and there's a new generation that I can raise up under the leadership of Joshua who will end, go in finally to the promised land. God says, your enemies may seem very big, and compared to your enemies, you may seem like this little worm. But notice as he goes on in verse 14, after he says that, you may seem insignificant, but I'm the one who's helping you, says the Lord, verse 14. I'm your protector, the Holy One of Israel. So look, the next thing God does in order to care for His people is this. He says, I'm making you this little worm, I'm making you like a sharp threshing sledge, new and double-edged. You will thresh the mountains and crush them. You will make the hills like straw. You will winnow them and the wind will blow them away. The wind will scatter them. You then will rejoice in the Lord. You will boast in the Holy One of Israel. Notice what God is saying there. Listen, to a worm, hills and mountains seem like insurmountable obstacles, right? 
How long and how big are those hills and mountains to this little worm? And yet God says, oh no, wait a minute. I don't just care for you by strengthening you and helping you and upholding you. I also care for you by making you tougher still. You see, in a sense, what God is saying is, I understand your times are tough that you're going through, but I can make you tougher still. So God is saying to his people, don't let the circumstances that you're going through, no matter what they are, define you. You let me through you define your circumstance. Don't let the things that are happening around you get bigger than what I can make you to be in order to handle it. God is in a sense saying to his people, stop being passive. Stop allowing the things that are happening to you to dictate to you. Let me make you this strong threshing sled that can take care, in a sense, dictate the environment and circumstances that we are in. Stop being listless and start being the leaders that you are as my people, God is saying. Don't let your environment dictate to you or define you. You, as my people, define the environment. Because that's who I can make my people to be. See, again, let's not forget the perspective of the, of the Israelites here. They were not this big, powerful nation at this point. They were this small, little group of insignificant people. And looking up, it was like, wow, look at all the, the world forces and the world powers that are greater than us, and we seem to be at their mercy. We seem to be helpless. And God is saying to His people, I never want you to feel that way. That you may, it may seem, if, if you were to look at it through human eyes, like there's all these things out of our control and all these things bigger than us, but God is saying, I can make you more than enough to handle whatever circumstances you are dealt with in your life. I'm that kind of God, and that's how I care for my people. Not just to give them the, the strength and the wherewithal to be able to endure or to survive, but in order to thrive during times like this, during times like exiles. And then, notice this final way God said, through the prophet Isaiah here, at least in Isaiah 41, that I care for my people. Look over in verse 17. I, the Lord, will respond to their prayers. Oh my. That's huge. God says, look, I not only care for my people by strengthening, by helping, by upholding, and by making them into something that they could never be on their own, but only with me. But God says, I always hear you. And I will always respond to the cries and to the prayers, to the concerns of my people. And we even know that the Bible teaches us as New Testament Christians that even when we don't have the words, that the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit takes even our groanings and the things that we can't even articulate and express and brings them and presents them before our loving Heavenly Father. And the New Testament reminds us that we always have access. We can always come confidently and boldly under the throne of grace so that we might find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. God is saying to His people, I hear your prayers. 
and I see your tears. And the Bible even tells us that God even collects all of our tears and places them in a bottle of remembrance. We are the apple of God's eye. And God is saying to His people here, even in Isaiah 41, I know it may seem like so much is going on around you that's out of your control and that you feel so small and so helpless, but God says, let me transform your helplessness into hope. Let me send help into your life for your fear. Don't be afraid. Don't stand in awe of anything or anyone other than your God. And remember that you are my people. That I am committed to you. I am with you in this and will be with you to the very end, Jesus said to his followers. And I'm your God. I am that I am. And I care for you. Like nothing else I've ever created, I care for you. You are more value to me than anything else. I'll strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. I will make you something. And I'll respond to your prayers. Friends, fears come to us in life. That's part of being a human being and living on earth. We can't prevent the fear from coming, but we can face our fears. If we know that God is with us, that He cares for us, and that He is powerful to help us. Psalm 34, verse 4. David wrote, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and He delivered me from all my fears. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, I pray today that You would help Your people with our fear, with our insecurities, with our unsettledness, with our worry, with our concern. God, that we would bring all of them to You, God. Because You're a God that responds to our prayers. And You're a God who is mighty enough and strong enough to save and deliver us from all of our fears. Not just from some of our fears. Not from the, the small fears, but from the, the fears that literally paralyze us and grip our lives. And God, I pray today that we would allow You to deliver us from our fear. That if we, Lord, trust You enough to deliver us from all of our sin, to cleanse us of our sin, to forgive us of all of our sin, then God, certainly we can trust You to deliver us from all of our fear as well. God, may we come to You today knowing that we are Your special people, that You have a commitment to Your people, and that You care for us like nothing or no one else. And that, God, our helplessness and our hopelessness can be transformed by your very presence and power in our life. God, use this time to make us a strong, courageous people. A people who do not allow our circumstances or our environment to dictate or to define us, but who literally define and dictate our environment and circumstances. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad you joined us today. Uh, just a reminder to join us here again Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. We're going to be starting a new series 
this Wednesday, so we hope you'll join us at 7 o'clock right here from the Oasis in Gilbert, Arizona. And also, if you'd like to continue to read the uh, blog every day, just go to our website, www.theoasisaz.com, and you can look up at the top and click on the blog section, and uh, each day we'll have some encouraging words for you. And you might even see me a little bit extra uh, if you come to our webpage. Uh, I might be sending out some just extra messages of encouragement for you in the weeks ahead. And I'm going to ask my friend and partner, Nicole, to come over here real quick. Uh, because this is our anniversary, we just want to again say to you, happy anniversary. We will see you all really soon. And I know on behalf of Nicole, we appreciate your prayers uh, for her and I as we lead you in this time. Anything you'd like to share with the folks? All right. All right, folks. God bless. We'll see you on Wednesday.